Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake coming live from Lakeview, East Chicago, Illinois, and I am joined today by my lovely co-host, Callum J. O'Donnell. I'm back, baby. We're all back. because we We're all back. We didn't do a podcast last week. Oh, no, we didn't. No. We're short. First time in a very long time. Uh, we had a week off. That's because you're just about to go away and do 400 of them. Uh, maybe. Let's hope so. As my travels take me across the entire country for the next four weeks, and my wife will miss me very, very much, I'm sure. I'm sure that uh, I'll be speaking about Star Wars whiskey and markets coming near you, I guess. And hopefully we can record some podcasts along the way, but since you are now ditching me at New Orleans Bourbon Festival, I'm not sure how many I'll be able to record. I was um, I was trying try my best not to get Alan Clarked, mm-hmm. so I'm heading back home to get my visa. Should we explain this to the to the audience well yeah i dropped that one in there because today's guest um has something to do with that you know anyone that listens to keen lake podcast will <laughs> have anything to do with <laughs> sent out of the country um, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone that listens to keen lake podcast will know that we use the verb alan clark um to basically means someone's got deported episode um, 13 14 of the keen lake podcast yeah, he, he, he was, was one on of our, yeah. one of our first foreign guests one of, one of your first foreign guests <laughs> didn't even know who you were at the time um and <laughs> Uh, so today we're going to be speaking to someone quite interesting, um, Mr. Mark Williams. Mark, how are you doing? Great. I just stuck my nose in a 14-year single-barrel Aberlauer. Oh. I'm great. Great. That's a, the 14-year. Uh, yeah, a little, a little bit peatier that one, actually, Com- curiously. Compliments of Mr. Sid. Uh, yeah, thank you, Sid. Shout out to um, Single Malt Guy on Instagram. Uh, and Mark, you've got a bit of an illustrious history because... I, two years ago, before I got the, or three years ago now, God, before I got the Aberlour job, um, I was coming in to, to basically fill your role. You'd been the Aberlour brand ambassador for some time before that. Don't know how long. Um, and then Alan actually come, came two in. Years. Two years. Two so years, Alan yeah. actually came in and took that role from you. Right. Um, but where were, how did you get to that stage? Like, where was your sort of, how did your, your history, if you like, in the spirits industry get started? So we'll make... Uh, longish story pretty quick i have a marketing degree from western michigan and uh went to be a ski bum in aspen for a year and a half after college i'm heading there tomorrow nice yeah (laughs) great we'll talk about that in a few um worked in restaurants skied every day um living the dream yeah it was great and then moved here to get a job and use my marketing degree but uh that was may of 2008 when everything hit the fan so Ah. uh Mm. continued on in restaurants for the next uh, what eight years or whatever 10 years i guess uh worked for let us entertain you for a, about 10 years yeah um with Which them is a massive group here in chicago right all, and all across the country yeah dotted yeah. across the country uh they actually sent me out to los angeles i worked there for two years at uh, two of their spots and then back to aspen back to chicago worked for them for a few more years and was kind of stumbled across the opportunity to interview for the Aberlauer brand ambassador in Chicago. It was a brand new position, brand new role, and kind of by luck fell into something spectacular. So um, had a decent knowledge of, of whiskeys and spirits and obviously of the hospitality industry as a whole, but got to dive really deep into scotch, which was not something I was hmm. very uh, familiar with at the time. So now I have a pretty solid knowledge of uh, Scotland and of the world of whiskey throughout Scotland and a little bit of Irish uh, with my friends at Pernod. And now working for an American whiskey company, Traverse City Whiskey. 
Back to Michigan. Yeah. Full circle. Back, well, that's where I grew up, actually, right. is Traverse City Whiskey. So oh. it's a couple of my friends. Sorry. I grew up in Traverse City. I got it. Traverse City Whiskey is owned by several of my friends. Oh, uh, nice. A guy that I went to college with and another from uh, the Traverse City area. So I've been meaning to go up there and try to like interview your friends and bosses so for a while but yeah. um yeah we'll have to set that up let's start foot in the door after yeah <laughs> right once you come we back, can make that happen once easily. you come back from the gala because and- you guys do like uh like nature kind of like explorations is that right like kind of walk around farms and stuff i thought it was talking i think it was somebody from traverse city i was talking to one Sounds time like something that could happen yeah i thought there was one time about talking around and like exploring a terroir of michigan and somewhere around the distillery with somebody from your company this was like three years ago maybe or, yeah i don't know it's also during a whiskey fest so right right maybe a couple of babies yeah. Yeah. stories yeah. get stretched <laughs> yeah. a little bit we were yeah. like we were like planning this out maybe in our heads <laughs> to have it to happen in the yeah, future yeah we go to farms in deep in the Amazon in Brazil. Let's pick some mushrooms and stuff like that. Uh, so the guys own three different properties in Traverse City. The yeah. first okay, is... Okay, so this is kind of making sense. Right. The Here first is the still house. Yeah. And it's a, it was, I believe it was a light and power building. Okay. And then it was a printing company for a long time. And these guys bought it and gutted the inside of it, put um, basically an experimental size still in it mm. and a bar. Okay. So it's the Still House. It's on 14th Street in Traverse City. Um, check it out online. It's it's a great place to grab a drink. The Still's really cool. There's a couple barrels of uh, whiskey aging in there, yeah. and you can try not only all of our core line of whiskeys, but there's always some special Still House edition whiskeys in there. So I love that. Love that idea. Yeah, cool cool way to go in and uh, grab a drink if you're in the town and and see something different that you won't be able to get elsewhere. Uh, with that. They grew quickly mm-hmm. and moved out just outside of Traverse City to a facility that holds most of our barrels, and it's where we uh, process and can our cocktail fruit and oh. bottle all of the whiskey and you know nice yeah anything that that is marked for a single barrel basically is aged and held there so we can keep an eye on it uh-huh. and then there's other barrels at our new property which is 30-some acres, and uh, it was a fruit processing plant, so there's this enormous cement compound of a building and then an old farmhouse. And uh, waiting on the state of Michigan's um, economic development group Mm. to help us get off the ground, and obviously with the last year being what it was, that's stalled. But making footsteps, there is a large production still and will be... You know, the entire process on property there, um, mashing all the way through to distilling and aging will all happen on that property. There'll be a a really neat interactive tour through there and tasting room and everything. So nice. um, That may have been where they were digging around. It's potential. I don't know. Who knows? After a few drams at a whiskey fest and talking to 300 people, conversations just maybe mix and mingle too much together. Um, So everything was initially sourced, right? Yeah, and still a, a decent amount of what we have is okay. sourced. Um, we use MGP. Nice. Um, it's their high rye mash bill is our go-to for mm-hmm. the bourbon. Uh, we do some rye with them and some other random things. We do a lot of um, in-house, like every once in a while in Chicago, we will bring out a, a Portwood-aged oh, whiskey, nice. and that's that's all, you know, the second aging is all on us. Cool. Um, our rye, our North Coast rye, which is uh, 43% alcohol. No, sorry, 45% alcohol. It's a little bit higher than the bourbon. 
is a blend of two ryes. There's a 100% rye that we make all of, and then there's a 95.5 rye that uh, MGP makes, and we, we blend those two together to make the North Coast rye. So Very our cool. juice is out there, and a lot of it, honestly, we're just sitting on and, and aging. So, yeah. yeah, because we only have that small mm-hmm. uh, kind of experimental size still. We're putting a decent amount of whiskey into barrels every year, but... Um, How big is the still? I don't remember exactly how many gallons it is. Right. It's only 12 feet tall. Oh, um, okay. So and it's, it's, really it's a hybrid, like, pot column still. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. I was going to ask. It's, it's, a, a, yeah. it's a cool still. So it's probably, like, maybe, like, it's probably less than 1,000 ga- gallons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, way less than that. Way yeah. less. Yeah, but maybe, like, three, 400. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, we'll go figure it out sometime. <laughs> we'll need to go, yeah, and see it. What were you doing for lettuce? Were you bar managing? I did everything not in the kitchen. Okay. Um waited tables i was doing marketing i i managed um i was at three dots and a dash rj grunts m street kitchen and stella barra in california so quite a few different concepts of theirs that i managed at and then i was doing marketing and uh early days of social media marketing like the first that anybody had heard of twitter right we were at a marketing meeting and i was like well let's check this out and i signed up for an account and i've used it probably four times since then yeah yeah uh (laughs) Not a big Twitter user, but um, yeah, I, I ran the gamut with those guys. But really what that led to with my uh, whiskey career is the ability to walk into a place and understand how to talk to a bar manager mm. and when to and it's when huge. not to right. talk to a bar manager. Right. You can read somebody's face pretty quickly and go, hey, I'm here to talk to you. It's clearly not a good time. Here's I'll my card. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, knowing when not to talk to people is probably a bigger skill than knowing how to and when to. That's so important. Yeah. We, uh, Sean Joseph from Pinhook was on a couple of weeks ago and he used to run, you know, or own bars in New York and started these American whiskey bars. And he was talking about how he'd have reps come in like on a Thursday, do a favor to a friend that was uh, part of a distributor or whatever. And you sit there and you listen to their story. You're like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, sure. Um, and you basically are lying to the person. He's like, I have no time. I'm trying to move this, afore- move this ahead very quickly. Shift's starting very soon, and I'm probably never going to order your whiskey. And right. knowing that time to like step back, say, hey, here's a card, here's a sample. I'll come back some other time. It's better for you. Right. It's a better positive outcome usually. Oh, man. Yeah. It's really hard to overcome a, a negative interaction like that. It is. Especially you know? the first one. Unless I just forget all about you. First and let's be honest, we've all been to bars. There's a lot of personalities in bars. Right. There's some people that if you tip off once, you're yeah. you're never coming back from it. I always feel like the first time into a bar in Cal, and I've talked about this a lot, I don't even bring a card or anything. I just want to check it out, get the feel for it. If the conversation comes up naturally that, hey, like you work for a whiskey distillery, then I'm like, yeah, definitely. If you want to try it sometime, here's my card. I'll pop in. What day works for you? Yep. But to be like, come in there right away, especially, uh, I would say, anytime after like, five o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> would be a rough time to kind of get, unless they ask you or set, set up a meeting on a Friday afternoon, which usually right, is right. rare, totally but totally different. If that's, if yeah. that's on them, go in and do your thing. There's a bar in New York called uh, Katana kitten, um, mm-hmm. popular, popular cocktail bar. And my wife and I are there about, about six weeks ago. And there was a rep for, I think a gin. I don't, I don't really remember trying to pitch at like seven o'clock at oh, night. No. And <laughs> it's like, this is a Friday. COVID had just like, all the laws and regulations had just been lifted, so like every bar is packed. It was just There's mayhem. Never going to be a worse time. Than it right wasn't now. that busy, but oh. it was. I mean, it was busy. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; like, the whole bar was taken up and seated. And but you're like, uh, and you could tell he just wasn't very good at pitching yeah. his gin either. So 
hitting you know two negatives right there they're like oh yeah we'll be yeah we'll try it i was like oh it's cool it's like well we can give you a trip out to the distillery and i think it was in i think it was in scott is there scottish gin Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I don't know. So it's somewhere out there. I think it's either Scotland or Ireland. But Hendrix is the big one, I suppose. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it was a smaller gin distillery. But yeah, I'm like Friday. I'm just sitting there watching this guy squirm with my wife, and we're just kind of laughing on the inside, and also a little bit laughing out loud too. But he didn't know we were laughing at him. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer in the anonymous. You right. Go in the first time, don't say anything. Don't leave a card. Just go in, check the place out, and just see like what you're working with. Yeah. And then- well, and and. You know, working with Aberlauer, there is a place, and there are mm. places that to not yeah. have it represented. Like in, in a Katana kitten, a high volume cocktail bar, probably not. No, yeah. like, like we were like, right? we were thinking like, should Star Wars be in there? And we get there, and it's like, no, like they're super happy with Centauri brands. Like they they love having all the Centauri whiskey in there and making everything with that and having a highball machine. Why mess with it? Like don't right. don't go in there and try to sell yourself and waste time, waste money. The other thing as well is you, you're it's it's sometimes worse for your bottle to sit on a back bar. For, right. Like we were talking about this the other night. Right. Worse yeah. for the restaurant for you and for everybody for the right. brand. Yeah. For, yeah. There's there's no reason to have it. Like you just have eighty bucks tied up sitting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were in a place the other night, and I was like, oh, you, your stuff's here, man. And and Jake was like, yeah, that that bottle's probably been there for two years since we were last in. And it's just like. At the time, well, that was before the pandemic. So it was yeah, this is about like eighteen months. But yeah, like, like I, I know what bar you're obviously talking about, and like that bottle, like literally got there the week the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, different story, but different yeah. story. But still, it does sit there. And another bar we were in this week that we were regularly visiting quite a bit before COVID. Um, it's a whole new staff, so it's like all start. So you're starting over completely with that bar, and you kind of come in there very. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say like discreetly, but you know, not trying to make a loud noise and say like, "Hey, like, let's get some Abelauer going." Hey, who wants an Abelauer drink? Yeah. But yeah. more like, and reintroduce yourself to the new staff. And we ask if the staff is still there. They weren't. They're so not. It's like okay, no, no longer. We'll, we'll just leave it at like, "Hey, if we work for these brands, <laughs> we're drinking our drinks, and we'll come back at some other time to talk about the future." Yeah, yeah, which is grim. <laughs> Which is a sad, sad place at the moment. How is it? Well, I mean, how does that uh, that reverse of um, titles and occupations when you go from behind the bar to the person now talking to the, from the other side of the bar to a bartender to a bar manager? That- I mean, it, it's like anything. Having the ability in a sales role, yeah, having the ability to know where somebody's coming from and and the optics of of what you're trying to ask of them. Mm-hmm. I want you to spend $300. People are like, oh, man, my budget's really tight. And you're like, great. By you spending that $300, I'll be in here once a month. I'm going to introduce this to people. I'll come in and you know train your staff so they know how to sell it. That should turn into you know $1,200 to $2,000 in the next four months. Right. Is the, is the projection. It's That's the, goal. the plan, right? Yeah. So to... to put that into perspective for somebody who's like, man, I don't know if I can just, I don't know that I can drop a couple hundred bucks like that right now. Like, great. You do that. I'm going to come in and open the bottle. I'll spend, you know, whatever you're charging to open this and to get it out, get the bartender excited about it and we'll see how it moves. And then if it's not moving, let's have a conversation about how we can pivot and, and make it move. Mm -hmm. That's, it's always really helpful and, and just eases people's mind on, yeah. Like you, know, you already the had the game plan already making. organized right. because you were doing it from the other side of the bar. Exactly. Yeah. And you've been to bars where, you know, you're doing inventory every month and you you don't even have to look at six of the bottles because you, you know, that's a point eight. Like, how do you know? Because it's, it's always a point eight. It has been for the last year. Yeah. 
I haven't seen anybody touch it. Look at it. It's yep, still a point eight. So you you've got the you know you know what moves behind a bar and what doesn't, and there's creative ways to to help it roll mm-hmm. along. And when you uh, when you're working for a bigger brand, typically you have a budget to help people right. do that, and that's that's the whole point. That's how you. I mean, from me starting with Aberlauer, that was in 2016, to where we are, where you guys are now in 2021, like the amount of traction that this brand has, has gained, and it's not just in Chicago. No. I still feel my presence here in some places. I'll go into some random uh, bars and restaurants in town that I know Colin doesn't go into regularly, and it's behind the bar, and I, like I'll watch it move. You can watch yeah. it sell. It's It's cool to see that you can have a long-lasting uh, presence on a brand like this and, yeah. and help people discover something. It was my discovery of it, starting the job. Mm-hmm. I had had it once or twice, but wasn't very familiar with it. It is still hands down my, like the 12-year Aberlauer yeah. is my go-to. Right. Great choice. Favorite, favorite Scotch series. How was that going into it? I mean, working even for not even American whiskey brand, but a scotch, something you're not super familiar with and jumping right into it. So I worked for a marketing company in town called Legacy Marketing. Mm. And uh, they have a very broad reach and Pernod Ricard was their biggest client. So a lot of people had spent a lot of time with Pernod. Right. So I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Ross Graham, who had been the Glenlivet ambassador and he represented the entire portfolio when he worked um, in that Mm. role. So he and I sat down in the conference room with uh, 25 bottles of whiskey. And, you know, we didn't taste every single one of them, but we talked about how to position yourself on them and Mm. what they mean and the history of these brands. And to have a picture in your head of, you know, what the name Aberlauer or Glenlivet mean. Here's what it translates to. Here's a bit of the history of it. Here's why it's important. And then here's the kind of people that you should be looking to to sell this to Mm. was a really i mean that was you know my second or third day on the job (laughs) so that was a really really great experience and i'm sure you had a similar experience yeah no 100 percent. obviously mine's was a little bit different because i came from scotland so i'd been around these brands things like that um but one of the things one things i was one of the things i was going to say was you are scotch that's it um even even to this day, the main company, the head company or the, the, the central company, if you like, in France or in London or wherever, for Scotch, it's obviously that was CBL in London. They have this global brand image. And I think that going through going through these whiskeys, whether it's Glenlivet, it's Aberlour, the whole Scotch portfolio, the gym portfolio, whatever it is, and having your own kind of impression of it is often a good idea because that image in London will change as the years go on. The the brand messaging will change, the target will change, their ideas, their plans for the whiskey will change. As senior leadership changes, that shifts. Yeah, you know, every two years marketing rolls over and right. does something new and someone has this brand new idea that's going to change the market's <laughs> landscape. So it's a good idea to do that. And that's something that, like, even to this day, I still have my own impression of Aberlour. And mm. obviously the job changed i think even when you were doing it it started to change several and, times yeah and that was you know obviously with andy coming in he had different ideas and it's changed even since then um but at the same time you know whenever you go in a bar whether i go in a supermarket or a liquor store whatever it is you have to have that baseline idea right of what of what your whiskey is what the brand is and a, a simple way to convey that to people yeah right an elevator pitch yep hmm. what's your elevator pitch drink it it's good 
<laughs> just with that accent. I was wondering. It if, helps with the accent. I was Your wondering, bullshit like, level yeah. can go up exponentially. And 90% did you get a lot of shit? Like saying, like, why aren't you scotch? No. Oh, really? No, no, really not at all. Oh, oh um, But having the, the, the opportunity pretty close. So I started in October, and we did our first brand trip in uh, January. Nice. So having the opportunity right off the it's bat huge. to go there, I mean, that was the biggest question. Oh, cool. You work for this brand. Have you been there? I've been there. Yes, I have. Yeah. I can tell you about this guy. We met these people. We did this. We saw this. We dove off a cliff into the river in January. Nice. Yeah. Like, we went to the top of uh, the burn behind Hourlauer and drank out of a massive... Uh, quake? Quake. Like, huge. The whole bottle fit in. It was great. Um, <laughs> to have those stories and to relate it to know the town of Aberlauer mm-hmm. and know there's oh, what there's two restaurants there, two restaurants, one bar, yeah, or one pub, pub, and to know the pub because if you go through Aberlauer, you pretty much usually stop by this pub and it's the mash tun. Oh man, it's, the food is phenomenal. I heard some stories about it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a dangerous place. It's right <laughs> along the river. It's unfortunately inundated with Balvini. There's far less with, Aberlauer uh, there's than... inundated with so many Spaced Whiskies yeah. apart from Aberlauer, which is <laughs> mental because it's literally over the street from the distillery. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. No, I think having that hands-on approach, uh, that hands-on initiative with your distillery is huge. I, I, the first thing I said to my boss when I got my job with an Australian company was like, do I get to go there and see the facilities? Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing to talk about making single malt in Australia. It's another thing to go see how it's actually done and then get your hands a little dirty too. Just to understand the, the land around where your distillery right. sits right. is huge. Right. Cause I, I couldn't, I kept hearing like how we had this huge 300 person seated bar at our distillery. And I'm like, how the hell is there a 300 person seated bar in a distillery? Then you see it you're like, Oh, the whole entire front part of the building is just a bar. And literally our still is 10 feet away from seats at the bar. That's cool. Yeah. It's awesome. It's a cool experience um, to go there and see that. And like, then we have six, 7,000 barrels aging there. And then another facility where some other barrels are aging too. You're like, okay, I can actually, I'll put it together. I can tell the story a little better. See how he goes from, getting into this 40 ton silo then getting to the barrels in the back of the house by the end of the day mm-hmm. or you know end of the week but yeah it was a huge huge approach for that and i get the same question have you been there and then at events i get are you australian and i tell them no and they're like can you speak an australian accent and i say no i will offend everybody that i work with so right. I'm like why would i do that <laughs> sure i could it's like what I do you my best. It's, like, what, it's like what do you do for your job do you work with any like uh, international people <laughs> have any international clients do you just start talking, speaking like with an american japanese accent to your <laughs> japanese clients i mean of course you don't yeah yeah right it's like no i'm not gonna fake that now if i was like an actor like doing like being a, like a shot girl and hired like wearing a crocodile dundee outfit yeah, okay they'll do a different story there I, I get i get the i get the reverse of that people are people are like are you really scottish and then when i say yes they're like give us your best american accent mm. which i butcher every opportunity i get as you can tell by the way he pronounces oh my butcher. oh my god yeah <laughs> so and everyone's like why do you do like a white valley girl <laughs> i'm like i have no idea that's the only one that's i don't ever share with you the night in college that we faked scottish accents and got in a fight with some guys you did, you did. Oh, okay. <laughs> i love that because we were talking shit about david beckham <laughs> The thing is, I'm I'm convinced that no one in America actually knows what a Scottish accent sounds like. So yeah. sometimes you go in, like sometimes I'll get in an Uber or whatever, and it's someone from Chicago. You get so many Irish. Ah, they're like, "Are you Irish?" Yeah. And sometimes I even get, "Are you Australian?" I'm just like, yeah. "This is that's not even close." No, no, I mean, like literally the other side of the world. You do cut your accent a little bit. You do in yeah. Chicago though. When yeah. it's but you have to because otherwise you're fucked. A like, legit Scottish accent is 
illegible, even mm-hmm. when it, inaudible. I don't. I don't um, it all works. Incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. Sure. But the back when so I like occasionally go into the archives of the footage, uh, not the footage, the 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 recordings that we've got. <laughs> and footage. when I listen to the first one of me uh-huh. in Chicago, it's totally different. The accent's really? totally different. It's huh. just like it's a lot stronger. Like the and then, I, but I remember moving here and really struggling in tastings, like having to repeat things two, yeah. three, four times. Especially loud ones. Yeah, and it's like, people are like, man, you, like, I don't understand. What do, what do you mean about this? And I'm like, that's not the word that I said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I said whatever it was, you know, so. The first time we had Graham on, Wilson couldn't understand a word he was saying. Like, <laughs> he needs closed captions. Yeah, yeah, pretty I, much. I will often, like, it takes the pause and you you unfortunately say what a lot. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, I don't need you to repeat it, just pause for a second so mm-hmm. my brain can catch up got yep. it got it i'm yep. with you okay yeah, 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 yeah i understand I, the first time we were doing i was doing that in my head i'm like i'm okay i'm like slowly repeating everything he says in my head i'm like okay okay translating from i think scottish i think to andy's really got that down and yeah, being andy's, an actor is a big part of that oh, his yeah, yeah. his like speech patterns are he can ham it up a little bit when he needs to but you it's very very easily understandable in in general we talked we talked a lot about that um because andy when he gets like andy has a face that he puts on and we mm-hmm. actually talked about mm-hmm. this on saturday night how yeah. andy every single tasting is like it's not the really, it's not to the point the same but the same jokes it's got about more late more or less the same runtime mm-hmm. you know he just it, he's got it down it's, it's a it's like a it's like a stand-up routine right yep yep I, the jokes always hit blah 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 he's got the tempo everything but um we were talking about this andy and i and it's less so about hamming it up and sometimes after a couple of whiskeys it it, sort it of, just, it just bleeds out to, it's yeah like, right, you can't yeah. help it it's right. has to come out and you're Get like, loose. Oh, like yeah. you're it's funny because after a few drinks the scottish accent comes out of me a little bit too <laughs> <laughs> yeah and everyone's like wait a minute where are you from <laughs> i definitely use more uh british terminology hanging oh. around with you hanging yeah, around yeah. with australians as well like saying legend i even say we sometimes i'm like you you also you've also started to cut your whenever you say hell like if you ever say fucking hell you now say fucking hell man. <laughs> yeah yeah like you've you've cut the h which is like a real britishism which is funny because my girlfriend does the same thing really yeah she started to say like she started to pick up little britishisms if oh, you like call them so cool everyone wants to talk everyone like wants you. to emulate me mm. no but it, i think it's natural right like because i find myself uh, obviously i've not said i've never said i've never called it soccer and uh, not 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 unironically anyway. soccer soccer um but I, I find myself saying things like sidewalk and mm. trash and things like that what which do you, what do you back, call a sidewalk pavement the pavement well it's but a, ba- back it's home, a band would, but pavement that would that back home would get me like slaughtered uh, sorry sidewalk back home would really get me slaughtered. oh yeah yeah mm. And trash, which is, the, is funny because pavement is literally just a material. So right. if you said pavement here, people would be like the, the, the parking lot, the yeah. road, yeah. the <laughs> sidewalk. What, what, what part it's of the all pavement? pavement. <laughs> it's all pavement. Yeah. Oh, you should be more like Alan Clark. That's it, man. More, know. more posh. Who knows? I might, I might be like Alan Clark. If That's I don't true. Get this visa. Yeah, we should talk about that <laughs> a little bit here. I mean, where you're gonna go? Why you're not gonna be on the show for a little bit? Yeah. So I need to go back home um, to London. Uh, this could be the end of the line, I suppose. I need to go back and get a visa uh, or just get it re-stamped. Do you, do you want me to help or hurt? Um, neither, actually. Because I, I, I think I'll if you... i just stay clean out of it. Yeah, if you say help, it might actually hurt. <laughs> uh, more emotionally than anything. Mm. Um, mm. But no, so I need to go back uh, to the UK. My three years is nearly up. On the 6th of August, it was, it'll be up. So... Um, I've asked for a wee extension just to, until the fifteenth of August, and then after that, I'm I'm bugging out. I'm getting out of here. See you. See you later.
Alligator. In a while. Crocodile. Ooh, so that'll be What an entertaining show. That, <laughs> that'll be the one. So I, I'll probably be back sometime in September. At my my appointment's on the 24th of August. Hmm. Um, and then it takes about 10 days for the passport to come back. So about 2nd or 3rd of September. Wouldn't it be great if we go from Mark to Alan to you and then I just take over your job? And, this is it. Yeah, we're yeah, just, we we're just, we're just, just rotating through. Just <laughs> right back in. This would just be the Abelard podcast. <laughs> Like, this is their whole plan the entire time, <laughs> to take over Apple Hour. Well, I, I actually got a wee bit of um, paranoia yesterday, obviously, with uh, some of the changes that happened at Pernod. And then a friend of mine who had come back from Ireland, she's got a, a, an American passport, hmm. and she was in Chicago. And I was like, wait a minute, like, have my bosses, has the, have the bosses at Apple Hour, like, have they been like, oh yeah, Callum, go back for your visa. I'm going to turn up. There's no appointment. I'm going to be like, oh my God, they've done me. You are pumped. Yeah. <laughs> cameras on me. Cameras come out and they're like, what do you, how do you feel, Callum? How do you feel? Oh, but yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, hopefully it all works out and you're back within a month, right? Would be the kind of longest. Yeah, it'd be about that. About are that. you headed back uh, to your home at all or are you just yeah, in yeah, London? I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I had to basically... Because the interview and everything is in London, right? Yeah, everything's in London. So yeah. I'll go back to London, stay in London for probably 10 days or something before the interview, and then I'll go back home for 10 days because my passport gets sent to my house in Scotland. Oh, copy. Mm. Um, so I need to get the train and everything up to up home. Um, and I'll take the I'll take the time because obviously I haven't been home in two years, right? right? So I'll take the time, visit everybody that I can. Have some tenants. Oh my God, some tenants? I'll be mm. drinking the country dry. Um, but yes, I'll have a lot of tenants. But I mean, the guy, even the guys in London, all my friends that um, I went to like uh, university with, the majority of them live in London now. Yeah. Um, mm. Some of them are banking. Uh, well, the majority of them are finance. One of them's in the civil service, things like that. So these are guys that, you know, if there is a second round or if there's a fourth, fifth or whatever it is, breakout of, of, of this COVID thing, this small COVID issue, um, then... Uh, I don't know when the next time I'll be home is. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because Britain is like really serious about quarantining and lockdown and everything like that. So uh, it's been hard enough to get home. Yeah, I was wondering how you've done with uh, the last year or so selling whiskey um, during this whole COVID era. It's been tricky. My whole position with Traverse City Whiskey originally was to focus on on-premise. I assume so with your right. background, yeah. And uh, as everything shut down quickly and there was no on-premise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try some, actually. We pivoted a bit to focus on just beefing up what we're doing with uh, with the brand mm. off-premise. So working with some of the larger chains in the city and then trying to get into some of the prominent whiskey-selling um liquor stores in town was was kind of the goal and it's it's actually gone really well uh the brand is you know it's funny giving it the name of a town um our branding is very strong and it's it is very linear across all of our products which is phenomenal yep um a lot of small brands really suffer with that and i think these guys just killed it right right off the get-go and have stuck to it which is brilliant i always like how the logo is very face forward with them it's you know what you're buying what brand you're buying every time yep i hate when brands have like small brands especially because they're not established yet by doing this but they they're called jackson family whiskey then they have this other sub subcategory called grandma betty's distill it or whatever and you're like wait is this the same company is it not the same company yeah it's confusing it's funny though how how much a 
an impact that has you know like you were saying the Traverse City whiskey obviously the, the name of the town and everything um not only are majority of Scotchies like that, mm-hmm. but um, you know we spoke to at the beginning of the pandemic. We spoke to um, Adam. I, I guess three of the four brands I've worked for are yeah, um, and Adam um, from Sonoma, huh. and they have a they have you know the, the same brand in every single time. And it's funny well the whiskey whether the whiskey's doing well or not, I don't know. But when I walk in, I immediately see it on the shelf yeah. because I'm I know it. It's the name of a town, and I, so I can picture where it's from. And then the branding is almost always the exact same on every single bottle they've got. No, well, so that's and that's key. that's something that I, I guess I secondhand learned from working with Aberlour, working mm. with Dalmore, and working with Jura. They're all Consistency. very consistent. They're all 100%. very strong at branding. And strong Jura, at branding. Jura has that shape. Jura Dalmore has, has shape. the shape. Right. Yeah. You know, Aberlour has, has, has yeah, the, the, yeah, the tins are, you know it's Aberlour looking at every yeah. single time. Yeah. And to be working with a, a group of guys that got that to start has yeah. been has been very helpful um but then working with you know selling in jura nobody's heard of it dalmore it's pricey aberlauer you know where's it it's, from i'm aware of it but i don't know that we really need it on the shelf what does it taste to walk like? in the door with a bourbon and the rye okay yeah we'll take it and it with looks Traverse good. city people know mm. the brand it's local great let's we'll try it yeah. and the pricing's great it's um it's been, you know, it, it obviously it has its own challenges, just like all three Scotch brands had, but they're very different than the the issues that I had selling the others. And what about you said that it was one of the guys that you went to college with? What um that that's part of the yeah, ownership there. So what is what is how has he changed from when you knew him in college <laughs> and now now to working with him? And what is that relationship like? Like how did that come about? Did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? No, actually, friends through friends with uh, Chris Fredrickson, who's one of the other owners, hmm. and uh, Jared Rapp is who I didn't directly go to school with. He went to Michigan State. I went to Western Michigan, but we were both on the uh, Alpine ski team, so we were together every weekend, every right. winter. Um, he started a couple of brands with his cousin Moti, who is the third partner in the in the business, um, through college and and after, and then they started Traverse City Whiskey in 2014, hmm. all three of them, and you know branded it and established it in Traverse City. Jared lives in Detroit. Moti's actually since moved to Traverse City, so you know home base is Traverse City, but um, it, it's interesting kind of having them split around and everybody having three guys running a company um, and both Moti and Jared are attorneys. So, oh, so they're busy, <laughs> super busy. Um, and having them kind of divvy up their, their responsibilities. Jared focuses more on the, the back end and like the distributors mm-hmm. and the, the pricing and the, mm-hmm. you know, getting all the, the specifics done. Uh, Chris has more of a, a, global role if you will with the company but really focus more on the spirits themselves and and getting you know keeping the brand established and keeping things at the distillery and whatnot moving Hmm. and moti's working on all of the back end with the branding and the the logistics and legal stuff so they work well together (laughs) yeah very um jared is phenomenal at negotiating so having him in that position and he was in college so he hasn't really changed a whole lot which (laughs) You know, he's grown up. He has a wife and a kid now, so two kids. So there's there's that. But um, watching him in business and grow this brand has been pretty cool. Yeah. For you personally, um, 
having a marketing background and every brand basically having to look inward on their whole approach to selling whiskey over the pandemic and pivoting completely with their marketing approach and developing a social media, much more of a social media experience, I'm sure, um, for this brand. How did that help you out with this, with all this? You know, largely they're, they were on that beforehand. Okay. Um, they needed help on the ground. We're with uh, Southern Wine and Spirits, mm-hmm. and there's just there's so many brands in a big company like that to try to help push a small brand. Tell me about I think it. They have 3,500 or something. Like, yeah. Something mental. They just wanted another set of boots on the ground that was focused solely on the brand that can help branch out in town. So yeah. even having me go into these liquor stores where we have a relationship like with Benny's and, yeah. and um, help suggest to the store where to place the bottles mm. and and how to uh, you know go back to the guys with man if we could if we could figure out how to drop the bottle two bucks we'd put us in this you know this better category and I think we would see a lot more traction with the brand the marketing end of that understanding why people walk into a store mm-hmm. and what catches their eye and why they're gonna either spend or not spend whether I mean a dollar can make a difference right you know sometimes you go into a store and you're like I'm spending fifty bucks period. And you see a whiskey you really like and it's 52 and you're like, not doing it. I'm going to try this other one that's 48. Right. So understanding kind of the, the, the background, the, the uh, psychology of why people grab what they grab. Yeah. That last three feet is key. Right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, when I first started um, in Aberlour, we went through a whole bunch of focus groups and studies and things like that something like 90% of people that go into bars and off licenses, they're not, or sorry, uh, liquor stores, they're not 100% sure what they want. Nope. You know, 10% of the time they know, right, I'm going to this bar, I'm getting a high life and a shot, or I'm going to this liquor store, picking up a bottle of Star Wars, right? But 90% of the people go in and they're like, hmm, I wonder what's going to pick my fancy. And it's that that interaction between the bottle and them that, that wins them over, right? Or the right. price as well. Yeah. I'm well, shocked it's that's, that high too. That's, it's, it's I mean, a, but think think how often we go in and we're like, hmm, what am I actually going to get? You know? And right. Like, even sometimes like I'm going to Binnie's and even though I know what I'm going in to buy, like yeah. say I know I'm going in to buy Aberlar, yeah. like I'll pass the bin at the end and I'll be like, right. Like that time I bought the balconies, I, like we've been mm. talking about it on the pod. And then I was in buying an Aberlour or whatever and like some soda water or whatever. And as I was passing, like I saw this like dark bottle, the like sheath logo. And I was like, what's that? And I looked in, it was balcony. So I was like, how much is it? Like 28 bucks or something. I was like, fuck it. Okay. I'll take it. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been interesting focusing more on off premise than, you know, our jobs were almost solely. Right. Um, on premise. Uh, well, you. I think that was the big change, right? Yours was on premise, then mine's was this like. Well, and non that's, and that's what I went to with uh, with Dalmore and Jura is I was focused really okay. on supplying the sales force of the distributor mm-hmm. with ammo to go out and sell, hmm. and and the large focus with their importer and business partner being Gallo, the large focus was off premise, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, I see the advantage to both sides of that, and especially in a town like Chicago where you have. So so many bars yeah. and people go out so regularly. Mm. There's such a huge opportunity on premise in this town. If you can get in a bar, there's step one. But if you can get the staff excited about it, so that last 10 feet thing, if you walk into Benny's and you're kind of looking around and the guy walks by and just points at the Aberlour, points at the Traverse City Whiskey, if you haven't tried that, try it. Yeah. And keeps walking That's is it. typically enough to get it done. Or if we're there doing it ourselves. I know. <laughs> sure, sure, right. Yeah, but you just can't be around. everywhere all the time. No, you so, can't. No. so being the, the ammo behind that to get people to just 
keep it top of mind. Right. If you're selling it, that's it. And you want people to be able to answer a question. What is this bottle I've never heard of? What mm -hmm. is this brand? I'm not, I don't know anything about it. Because as brand ambassadors, we really, like working with big stores like Benny's, we really can't do that much if we're not actually doing a tasting. We're not, we're not a distributor. We're not a distributor rep. Um, But if you can go in there and talk to the guys that work the aisles every day and just say like, hey, here's a sample of this or. That goes so far. Right. Like remember like, oh yeah. And it's not cheap to do. No. It's a lot of legwork and it's a bit of money to, to, I mean, with Dalmore and Jura, I had. 10 bottles of whiskey mm-hmm. so lugging 10 full bottles of booze around and trying to get people to sit still for long enough to like have a sip of at least half of them is like yeah it's a challenge but when you can get there i mean you really you can if you get a sales report from that specific store where you have and haven't been yeah it's pretty clear that that works well <laughs> i agree no i think and we we've back in december we did this um 12 days of battle picks and there was like a couple of conversations that we had over that time mm. where we were talking about the on versus the off and it's like it's amazing to see that more brands are are moving into the off but the on is never going to go like it's never going to disappear like with Aberlour for example we're over 90% of our of our volume is in is in the off mm. but the stories that you hear from people the big stories like or the, the big memories from people are always about when they tried the abuna at some bar in mm. wherever it was mm-hmm. and they come back to chicago and they're not going to go out and spend 90 dollars or 100 dollars on on the bottle without remembering it certainly something they don't know that was my biggest focus with jura people didn't know it yeah, yeah. so i'm not going to go out and spend uh you know 80 bucks on a bottle of whiskey that i am not familiar with mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. but i'll spend 12 dollars, 18 dollars on a Try glass it. of it and then i'll go spend 80 on it because it's really that 100 100 percent so it's you know though if you're looking at it from a business perspective it's really expensive to sell a a $40 bottle of whiskey into a bar but the amount of people that you impress by that one bottle mm. yeah, it's 15 is, impressions if you like you know at right. best that that one bottle right so if if you can look at it that way and see that pushing it into the right bars and restaurants is going to feed your your off premise where you're yeah. doing 90% of your business just understanding how to how to leverage your money and and push your brand around. Yep. What kind of bars do you think are the right bars for like the three scotches you've worked for? It's it, I mean it's all over the board. Something like it was interesting having two brands at the same time, Dalmore and Oh, Jura. so you're working at the same time with them? Okay. Yeah, that's it's owned by White and Mackay. And um Have you been to Jura? Yeah. That my, was a my, phenomenal. My dog, my dog's called, named Jira. My dog's called Jira. Phenomenal trip. Brilliant island. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. If you ever have the opportunity, if you're ever headed to Scotland and you have plans to go to Isla, plan an extra day. You need a whole extra day because it's it's a pain in the ass to get to. <laughs> and it's so much. I mean, how did you get there? Did you fly or life, did you get the boat? We flew from. Um, That's a scary We flight. flew from Dublin to Isla. That's a scary flight. Uh, yeah, you land on the beach. <laughs> basically, there's a runway. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, like, right, right. you land you on the call beach. It that. It's it's on the beach, um, and then we took a van across the island. So we didn't stop anywhere. Unfortunately, we drove oh. by like four or five of the big by distilleries more, in, yeah. Yeah. on Isla, um, and then take the ferry across and up to the distillery on Jura. We spent two days there. It was phenomenal. Mm. It's quiet. There's nothing there. Right. There's. Graham's daughter lives there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she and works, works the hotel, in the hotel yeah, yeah. directly across the right. street from the distillery. <laughs> oh, I think I think be part head... of our key in the lake Scotland trip. Oh man, please, definitely, be... definitely, definitely plan the extra time to do that. Yeah, 
And the staff at that distillery is just, they're so welcoming mm-hmm. and so warm. And so it's just, that is such an impactful visit. Is there like anything if, else on Jura? There is another distillery. Oh. It's way at the north end of the island, oh, which is like that. 25 miles away down a, it turns into not even a road. <laughs> yeah, you have to, you um, basically need climbing gear. <laughs> yeah. Um, you need climbing gear to get to it. And I don't, I think they just do a gin, hmm. I think. Uh, but no, otherwise there's a bunch of really fresh seafood and some, some good trails to hike around on and a lot of red stag. Well, the the thing with Judah that I always remember is I think it's the head distiller is also the fire chief. Yep, which is very logical. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes, makes sense. Of sense. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the most the most flammable thing on the island. Hey, uh, the guy why don't you do your other job a big service and make sure that this place isn't going to light up? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, man. Because on a, on an island like that, if that thing goes up, the whole thing goes up. Oh, it's gone. The whole thing goes up. When did you stop working for those two brands? Um, it was actually right before the pandemic started. Okay. And you switched over to Traverse City then? Switched over to Traverse City then. Gotcha. Yeah. Huh. Um, was that because... Sorry, to, to no, no. let me cut way back to where we were talking. What's the right bar for a place like that, yeah, for, yeah. A, for a whiskey like that? Dalmore is such a... Um, it's positioned as such an exclusive mm. and um, very high-end brand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, high-end hotels... Mm. Um, mm. Your your bigger whiskey bars, but on a lesser scale, like Aberlour, Traverse City Whiskey, Jura for sure, your whiskey bars, and it doesn't matter if they're like Twisted Spoke or Delilahs, or if they're like um, Volume Thirty Nine, or yeah. you know one of the other like high end bars in town. Perfect place for it. Right. Dalmore is a little bit more difficult just because of its brand positioning and its its price tag for these whiskeys that. You know the volume thirty nine fits. It's going to go into a place like Delilah's, but it's, it's still going to move. Still get like, lost, like everything. Sure. Yeah, everything else. Um, no offense, Mike. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I'm so impressed with that place, though. If you pick out some super random whiskey on yeah. their list, they're like they turn around and it's in their hand in the, ten seconds. Get the like, flashlight how, out. Like I know it's in this area right God, here. It's oh, just, there it is. His system is brilliant, and his staff is incredible. Yeah, but you know it. It's Going back, way back to our conversation about just walking into a place and kind of surveying it, when you mm-hmm. have the brand's identity in your head, you can walk into a place and pretty quickly figure out, like, yes, this is exactly the yeah. kind of place we want to be, or this is a place that I would love, ideally, to sell a bottle or two, but I don't see it moving a lot in here, and, uh, like, it would look beautiful on this back bar. Right. But let's not focus too much energy here. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you just kind of run out of accounts, even in a big city like Chicago, in a great, no. a great drinking city. No. Okay. Yeah, because I, I feel like with even a $50 bottle of whiskey selling that, well, it also has to do with the fact that it's brand new to the market, brand new to the U.S. It's difficult to find spots where it can work at. Yeah. And look, for Dalmore, I mean, the 35, the 40, and the 45 mm-hmm. were five eight and twelve thousand dollars a bottle right so those certainly you have a very specific the 45 just won 99 out of 100 right Mm. at the iwsc Mm. i did see that it was incredible um there's only a couple of those bottles of any one of those three lineup in the city and uh like gibson's italia has the 40 year and you know it's nine hundred dollars for a two ounce pour but that's the kind of place where somebody's going to drop Somebody $900 yeah. for a two-ounce pour of that. You might even know what Dalmore is, but they see the price tag on it. They see that it's rare, and 
Let's and then they'll speak it. to the staff, and the staff will be like, "Wow, like you'll be the first person to have it." Yep. And then, yep. oh my God, like, no, they they sell it. They've sold. Yeah, some. Well, I can only, I, I'm sure. I can only imagine. I was yeah. able with that brand to do a staff training with the bar there with it, which was with exceptional. it. With yeah. it, like how many did you guys? I bought a pour of it and <laughs> split like, you know, like <laughs> six you get, ways. You get one tenth of an ounce. You get one tenth of an ounce. <laughs> it was enough to to get a splash of it and understand what's in the bottle and wow. and yeah. why somebody would spend nine hundred dollars on it. Yeah, because why, why those, would they? very high end i mean it, it's just exquisitely complex hmm. yeah. um richard patterson's the master blender with that and he's renowned not only for his tastings and his style of uh, of uh pageantry if you will look up his uh tasting videos online sometime there it's it's hilarious but his depth of knowledge and his palate is just exceptional and with those higher end whiskeys like the king alexander goes through Man, I don't remember numbers at this point. Nine barrels. Okay. And you taste nine barrels. We like you can pull out characteristics of each of those in this whiskey, which is just an impossible feat to pull off. Right. And this guy's doing it with forty-five and fifty-year-old whiskey. That's it's incredible. Like, and well, and also it's forty-five years old, and there's there's twenty bottles of it in the United States. <laughs> He, it's very um, limited. He's been around so, for a long time. He's like long, he's long the old time. guard, like Alan yeah. Winchester and yeah. all those guys are they're all the old guard. It doesn't surprise me, man. Like Dalmore's been doing so well. Yeah. And it's still one of the ones that even though it even though it might not crank out the numbers of like a McAllen or a Glenlivet Glenfiddich, it's still the, one of the names that it's one it's got the high, most or one of the biggest market shares, right, as far as share of mind. Share goes. of mind for it's sure. Huge it's it's up there. very and and they've done a really really spectacular job positioning themselves as being exclusive, even with even when they did the cigar range right like mm. that oh, went that, that went down so well but like people like still does and, and that's a hundred and I don't remember hundred and sixty bucks I think a bottle and, it's phenomenal that's but even even hands as down like one of my even as someone that isn't a cigar smoker there was something about tasting it and wanting a cigar. You know, right. I could see the pool of it, you know, and there's a really, a really clever touch market. of wine cask aging in that, that yeah. just pulls out this really cool kind of dark cherry flavor that yeah. is pretty unusual in a scotch and, and just like such a mouthful. Yeah. Hmm. Was a switch to American whiskey, um, a conscious decision or something just kind of worked out because your friends. No, it was a conscious decision for sure. We we've been talking since I started with Aberlauer mm. um, about, me coming over and it was it was more an opportunity of them growing to the point where they had that they couldn't focus like they wanted to in the chicago market and you've got to understand how important this market is right and how difficult this market is like you know it you yeah. know what you're doing you know how to do it you know how to talk to people you have the contacts so like when we're in a place to bring you in we'd love to mm -hmm. and um one of my good friends diane corcoran had been doing the job for a couple of years and moved back to Michigan to do that full time with them oh, cool. in the state of Michigan and uh, help with, they have a bar uh, outside of Detroit and also in Traverse city. And, and just kind of, she is a spectacular, um, I hate the term mixologist, but mixologist, she really knows flavors. She understands how to make a very simple cocktail. That's really complex and, yeah. and, cost-effective and everything else she's got the business background to understand how to make cocktails make money and so having her back in michigan makes a ton of sense for these guys and then that was the right opportunity for me to jump on board with them and uh and push it here no, this is delicious too it's a, i can't believe 
It's at 57. Um, it's not a lot of heat. On no, that, not no. at all. Like really this sweet, it. like a um, little bit of like a savory butterscotch taste to it. There's a citrusy note on it as well. That's um, really tasty. I haven't had it in a while. So what we're tasting is the uh, Traverse City Whiskey Bourbon Barrel Proof. We have essentially there's a uh, the North Coast Rye, which is 45%, and our Triple X Bourbon, which is 43%. Mm-hmm. And then we do a barrel proof of each of those. So barrel proof bourbon, barrel proof rye. And then we have, um, in the fall, we'll bring out this apple whiskey that it, I'm not here to push flavored whiskeys. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. This Take is it phenomenal. Away. Like it tastes like you're drinking an apple that's been soaked in whiskey. It doesn't, what's the, it's what's not the process candied it? and, and, uh, it's steeped in apples. Okay. So it, it's legit like apple flavored. It's not all candy flavored and and you know fake tasting it tastes like fuji apples oh, nice. which is yeah it's awesome uh we also make a traver or traverse city cherry whiskey which yeah pretty logical considering traverse city Cities, yeah you know, cherry capital of the world um did you know that, that one is I didn't know that. did you know that every yeah. day's a school day yeah. yeah that one is proofed down a little bit so it's made to be approachable for people that aren't as comfortable with whiskey yeah mm-hmm. and it man there's there was a restaurant over the uh, over the winter that did a split base, um, old fashioned with it. Oh, so it was that and like a high proof barrel proof whiskey. Yeah. Wow, split base. So you got some kick from the whiskey, but you got that like really nice pungent cherry flavor. Sounds nice. Yeah, it was that was really a, a cool way to use that whiskey. But it's a great introduction to bring people into whiskey for sure. Because it's it's a hurdle. When did you start drinking whiskey? Yeah, uh, it wasn't my first spirit. Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, I did start drinking like Jack and Jameson kind of early on, I guess like at 20, but it uh, was definitely the rare but guy. But you made the face every time. I, I, I like it. Take a shot of it. Uh, well, <laughs> my grandpa worked for Jim Beam too, so like okay. it was kind of always around and sure. like tried a little bit of it. I guess probably my first whiskey was Jim Beam, but like when I drank whiskey consistently, yeah. I don't know. I had like this uh, romance of like the. Uh, the dive bar guy sitting there drinking Jack and a pint of High Life very early on in my life. So, uh, the tortured soul. Yeah, we're yeah, talking about this. Right now, is yeah, what you're yeah, pretty much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, for a circle. <laughs> I remember my, my. Now I am that guy drinking a High Life. In we all room. are. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, like you're like, oh, it's so cool. You get to hang out in Delilah's all the time. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I was, before I ever knew about Delilah's, I was already living that life in yeah. a very sad, sad uh, way. But no, you're right about it. It's um, it's the complexity of how whiskey's grown over the last, gosh, 10, 12 years. And it's brands like Traverse City. It's the craft brands that are um, the ones that are sticking around doing it for the right reasons because they love whiskey. They love making yeah. good whiskey. Yeah. And like, I, I know it's, uh, it's starting with you guys because you are sourcing whiskey, but even using the local terroir of apples and cherries to make a spirit that's right. something to start a base of the company off of big piece of it to, to kick the brand off for sure yeah and you know also being forthright with the information yeah yeah we're sourcing our whiskey yeah 100%. what difference does that make transparency you, is there's 15 brands that you drink and think make their own whiskey that definitely don't that are just lying about it yeah i, I i'm not gonna say who it was but i know a brand that literally i've been on an instagram live with the owner he says like we make all of our own whiskey I literally found out this week that they source almost everything. Yeah. I'm like, what part of it do you make? By make, you mean you pour it into a bottle? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I was like, he wasn't using the words produced and bottled and things like that. They were saying like, we make everything ourselves. They they advertise it as such, but they have multiple. There's one of their whiskeys. That's that's a a three-year-old of theirs. That's completely their own. It's really good. I don't get it. Like what? Just 
stay behind. Well, who and you I'm are. I'm proud of the guys for being aware of that early on. And and what year they start? 2014. 2014 yeah. Okay. But so being aware new. of the opportunity early on to just be honest, mm-hmm. and like you know this because this would be sexier and maybe help us sell some whiskey longer term yeah. if we told if we were actually producing it and making it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity to start a business and wait five years to make a dime. Stuff's where brutal. does that exist right you know it's hard it's very hard now so I, to be able to source out of a place like mgp that's already making great whiskey and solid. making a lot of brands whiskey by the way oh, yeah. a lot of brands whiskey um i think it's i think it's pretty it's cool to just be forthright with that information yeah. and, and tell people what you're doing and where you're getting things it was from and 2014, why. 2015 Templeton or I finally got caught doing that. They're the first brand to get exploited as, Oh, you don't actually make your whiskey, but you're saying you're making your whiskey. Yeah. Right. And so that is about the same, about the same time frame of everything going on. So I do give them credit for uh Traverse city credit for uh, just being transparent about who they are. Yeah. And now there's brands uh, that really spell it out. Like you're the Bardstown bottle that's sitting behind us. Like there's a whole graph on the side of it that tells you where every drop of that bottle came from and what it was proofed at and like yeah. the, the amount of detail that bottle information. was full last night. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but the detailed information on that did that dissuade you from buying that bottle? No, maybe you want to buy it more. Exactly. Yeah, that's why. Right? I, that's, so that's why I've invested money into that. The the world has come around a little bit, so mm-hmm. the whiskey drinkers are a little bit more aware and and maybe that attitude has shifted a little bit but i just i i think from the the get-go that's been important and i don't think there's any shame in that i think even as we continue to grow and Mm -hmm. put this huge industrial still in and are making our own mash and doing the whole process ourselves, and 10 years down the road when we could be bottling 100 percent of our own whiskey i you can still source whiskey right there's other really cool single barrels out there that you can buy and put your brand name on and say we got it from this place it's really good. Yeah. Drink it. Definitely. 100% so. Well, you guys have uh, a hybrid still? Like, build a big... I, I think the new still is. I haven't seen the design. I've seen the design of the distillery, uh-huh. but not of the actual still that we own. We own it. It's sitting in crates in a warehouse oh. somewhere in Kentucky. Nice. Yeah. We're just... We're waiting on uh, on money from a couple of organizations to, to get everything up and rolling. And uh, until then, it's just kind of hanging out mm. Callum get on that no worries I'll send a couple of lines <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm at a couple of dollars <laughs> no I've gotten some so if you want to see Traverse City Whiskey uh, open their new distillery go out and buy a couple bottles uh, there you go that'll help that's, I think that's a good we, could, we could be How's there we could do the interview plug? that's a great plug <laughs> we, could, we could do the interview eh? yeah we could go up there and interview and be like hey look at all this money will crowdsource anything you need and drink all their whiskey we could That's do that too. Not a bad idea. I'm in for that. We'll That's drive. really good. That was really, really tasty. Oh, it was like it. a seven hour drive? Hmm. It's like four and a half. What am I thinking of? It depends when you leave. Because the longest part of the drive is getting out of Chicago. Yeah. Once you get around the bottom of the lake, it's right. a, it's a breeze. It's it's around a five hour drive. Okay. But, um if you do it wrong, it's a six you know, five I've and been a half one hour time drive. but yeah, now that I'm thinking in my head we probably left like Chicago on a Friday at like three o'clock in the afternoon. If you do it late at night, it can be like a Ford. 415 especially in your car yeah 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 that happens well awesome we good man that was mark thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you guys yeah that's awesome i can't wait to go up there and actually do one of these uh at the distillery yeah absolutely and uh keep your eyes out because there are regularly single barrels coming into the chicago area i've got 
two restaurants that received one this week. Oh, and, uh, where at? Bub City, out okay. in Rosemont and downtown. Oh, great. Yeah. And Benny's has a couple of uh, rise on the way. They should be in any time. Ooh, I think our single barrels will be hitting the shelves at the same time, Benny's. Cool. We can be single barrel buddies. Yeah. Single um, buddies. If you're seeing them, the green labels are rise like everybody else's, and our uh, black and blue labels are the bourbons. Wilson's still doing a history of the rye and green together, the correlation between it. He's been on this project for two years. We're still waiting for him to report back. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that everybody's like, yeah, our rye is green. There's a story behind it. I'm sure there is. But... um, yeah, Wilson. Makes it we're still waiting. Easy to denote behind a bar, though, you know. Yeah, a hundred percent. And also, like when you're in a liquor store and you want to see, look at the sign, you just see all the green bottles there. You're like, oh, the rye oh, section. These are the rise. I think the bourbons over there. Yeah, right. there we go. Perfect. We should make a now a. I don't know a section. A purple one. A purple one, just for fun. Yep. All right. Uh, just like Barney. One of ours is purple. Well, <laughs> Mark, that, appreciate that it. Um, this whiskey is tasty. Go out there and buy it. Oh, I have. 2% battery life left. So guys, we are doing this real well. Cheers. Ciao guys.